Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show will focus on organizing your genealogy with Drew Smith. Drew is an assistant librarian with the USF Tampa Library and is the 2016 winner of the Philby Award for Genealogical Librarianship presented by the National Genealogical Society. Drew is the author of the book Social Networking for Genealogists and is the co-author of the book Advanced Genealogy Research Techniques and has written extensively for a number of genealogical print and online magazines. His latest book, Organizing Your Genealogy, Strategies and Solutions for Every Researcher, was published in 2016. So let me give a warm welcome to Drew Smith to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Drew. Thank you so much, Bernice. It's a real pleasure for me to be here. Well, it is a pleasure to have you here. And Drew, now before we explore the the tried and true methods to organize our genealogy, please share with us what motivated you to get involved in genealogy. I think uh, I was motivated um, a lot by where I grew up. Um, I grew up in um, upstate South Carolina, specifically uh, Newberry County, Newberry, South Carolina, where my mother's family uh, has been uh, in the area for, as far as I can tell, back to the 1700s. And so when you kind of grow up in the South, I I get the impression that it's it's a common thing in the South. You kind of have to know who you're related to. It's always uh, discussed, and, you know, you know a lot of your cousins and uh, you go maybe go to family reunions, and so uh, I was always interested in 
kind of where I sit in all of that. Uh, my father was not from the South. He was from Newark, New Jersey, and, and uh, didn't know very much about his family at all because I didn't grow up among them. But uh, I was curious as to kind of, you know, who are all these people that I was calling, you know, aunt and uncle, and some of them were really great aunts and uncles or somehow other related. And, and when I got older, I got kind of curious about, you know, who were these people? Well, I can certainly relate to you and what you're saying because I grew up in the South also, and there were a whole lot of people around us. And so that's certainly something to motivate you to try to figure out who are those people. And I guess you figured out some of that, right? I did. I was able, in part, to start like most genealogists do, and they can, is to talk to the oldest generation still alive. So I was able to talk to my parents, talk to uh, a few aunts and uncles, um, and then kind of work from there. And also, I'm the youngest of, uh, my mother was the youngest of seven, and I'm the younger of two. So almost all my first cousins are a lot older than I am. So I could talk to many of them, too. They had some pretty good memories of some of the older relatives and and so, yeah, and I, I was uh, already living in Tampa when I started on this, but I was also heavily involved in using computers, and things were starting to go online back in the 90s. And so I was able to use that as a, as a tool, but my brother was still living in upstate South Carolina, so he was able to go to the archives in Columbia and, and visit the courthouses and do all that kind of work. So he and I were able to work together on it. Oh, well, that's lucky. You're really lucky. You had a collaborator to to work with you, and especially to have somebody in South Carolina to go to the archives. But the big issue is, okay, so you have somebody that's helping you, but what do you do with all of that information, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. So Absolutely. help us Help us understand how to how, how do we even begin to organize? You know, I was just telling you, I know where my my stuff is located in my house, but yes. I can't exactly say I have the best strategy for organizing it. So <laughs> that's why we have you here tonight to to kind of walk us through a process. Well, you know, what I realized over the last couple of years is genealogy is a very unusual hobby. It's the only hobby that I can think of that's really about doing research. I mean, you know, most other hobbies, you might collect something, you might uh, grow something in your garden, you might paint and create things. But really, when you're, you know, genealogy is, is different because you're collecting information and, and organizing information, and there's so much of it. And new genealogists do get overwhelmed because they, get, they often start with a lot of paper. Uh, the ones coming along now certainly are getting a lot of uh, digital files. And, 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 again, this can be they may not, you may not see their mess, but it's on their computers. And so um, it, it really is hard to stay organized as a genealogist. And there's lots of different parts of genealogy that need to be organized. Um, what I think I always tell people to start with is really think about what they're trying to do. What are they trying to work on? And not to try to work on everything at the same time. When we're, when we're new to genealogy, we kind of run down every line we have and get excited. And, and really, we don't make a good, lot, a good progress on that, uh, doing it that way. I think we do better if we can focus on one thing at a time. So I tell people to organize first what it is they're trying to accomplish, you know, their, their goals and trying, you know, they're working on this line or that line and, what are they trying to get to? And then they can organize, then start to organize their, the materials that they're accumulating about the various surnames 
and the individuals with those surnames and kind of keeping things organized maybe by I, I advocate organizing chronologically. So when you as you're researching a person in your family, trying to get all the records in the right order from the birth to the death and even things after, such as the will and probate information. And so that really helps because one of the ways that we often think about our ancestors is how they live their lives from birth to death. And if you organize the information you get that way for each person, it's going to be easier for you to see what you have and see what you're missing. Like, are you missing a census record or are you missing a marriage record? And you can kind of look at all that stuff together. So I recommend that people come up with their, the best scheme they know how. And I do talk about different ways to do it, but, and I don't want to, I don't want to impose my way on everybody else because we're all different. You know, we all have our favorite ways to do things and I don't want to say there's only one right way. If, if you're making progress and you're doing well, then keep doing it. You know, don't change everything you're doing, but I do offer tips on, okay, let's try to organize information by maybe geography and by surname and by individuals in, with that surname and then chronologically within that. And I think that's a way to kind of make a start as to organizing all your genealogy information. Right. And that does make sense because when I think before we went live, I was telling you, well, I know where my South Carolina information is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know those surnames. So I could pick up a Frasier file. I could pick up an Alexander yep. file or because that is my my method. But what I have found to be helpful, and you say you don't want to tell people everything the way you do it, it does help to hear how other people do things, yeah. though. I mean, there, there's something that you may propose or you may be doing mm -hmm. that might work for me. It's just that I didn't think about it. So continue right. to share with us because that's kind of why we, we're all here. I mean, the chat room is full right now. Sure with people okay. because we want to hear those those strategies. So well, geography, yeah. surnames, chronologically, what else would you recommend? Well, one of the things that people often struggle with, I, I think, is, again, uh, you know, if they're dealing with paper, I really do strongly recommend that everybody scan what they have on paper. It's really easy to lose paper, misplace paper. But, you know, if you have it on your computer, you can kind of search for it normally and, and, and find it pretty quickly. But I also suggest uh, ways to organize uh, file names because file names are the ways that we um, can look at a glance when we have a folder full of files and we can kind of see, oh, that's the one I want. And so what I recommend to people is, okay, you're going to name a file. Maybe it's your your father's uh, birth certificate. So you're going to put, you know, his last name. You're going to put his first name. You're going to maybe put um, the year that he was born. And then maybe you're going to put birth certificate or something like that and make that the file name so that everything that has his name uh, will, will be all grouped together. So you'll have everything that, that has Smith, George together. And then if you put the year of whatever the document is, I like to do that, then that means that it's going to automatically sort chronologically. So the earliest stuff will be, you know, so the 1917 for the birth will be there. And then, the, you know, the 19, uh, 20 census will be then and then 1930 and so forth. And, and then what, what the record is. Cause you know, for some events like death, you might have an obituary record, you might have a funeral home record, you might have a burial record, uh, death certificate. So you're going to want to name those too. So that way you don't have to open the file to see what's in it. 
and that's kind of important. I mean, when you scan things, often whatever system you use to scan often doesn't give the files a good name. So really it's important to, to give your files good names, and that way you can find what you need. Now, some people really do like to use paper, and that's okay. I mean, you can if you put things on your computer, you could always print them out and put them in a hanging folder or put them in a three-ring binder or whatever like that and organize them that way. Um, some systems out there use color, you know, they use different colors for different branches of the family so that if you're looking maybe on your bookshelf and you've got binders, then you can say, oh, okay, all the red ones are, you know, my, my mother's uh, mother and all the blue ones are my mother's father and so on. So, you know, those two, if you're trying to get to stuff quickly. And, and that's what I think, you know, part of the reason that organizing is important. We want to save as much time getting to the information because we don't want to waste our time looking for stuff that we can't find. We want to spend more time finding new things and analyzing what we got and reading it and studying it and coming up with our conclusions and, and so forth. So, so I advocate good organizational structures so that you're wasting less time looking for things that you say, wow, I know I have the death certificate somewhere, but I don't know where I put it. Mm, I'm not going to say I haven't said that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me okay. tell you a story here. I was, okay. at, I was at work today and, and I was cleaning up a pile of papers at work and I suddenly came upon two documents that a friend of mine had gone to New York to get and brought back to me. And I didn't realize I had taken them with me to work and left them there. And these were like a marriage record for my uh, great grandparents. So of course I put them in my bags and now they're home. And now I'm going to make sure I've got them scanned if I don't already have them scanned. But that's the thing. Sometimes we put things and we forget where we put them. I know. Well, what you mentioned, okay, the file names. Now, at what point when you're putting together the file names, last name, first name, year born, or what have you, do you also mm -hmm. put down the sources? Where did you get this information from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, it depends. I mean, sometimes you can tell from the document or the file itself. I mean, if you if you see that it's a census record or, or a, a birth or death certificate, because, of course, all the information, at least the original source, is going to be up there. Um, I'm usually personally not too concerned about, like, a database I got it from or something like that, uh, uh, because, if it, as I said, if it's a death certificate or a birth certificate or a census record, it should be the same pretty much whichever database I'm using. Now, I know there are going to be people out there going to go, well, wait a minute, you know, there might be different copies of the census or things. Yeah, that does sometimes happen. Um, but, but most of the time, the record itself hopefully will have enough identifying information on it that you can tell what it's from. Um, the other thing you can do is, you know, when you're putting things into uh, your genealogy software, so if you're using something like Family Tree Maker or Roots Magic or something else, then usually you're going to be attaching things or at least uh, putting a copy of the record attached to the people that it relates to. And that also gives you the opportunity to put in that citation, that source record, so to identify where it came from. So normally you can actually produce a list of sources, and most of the genealogy software I've seen and used will let you produce a list of what are all my master sources and, and where are they. And so that's probably a good place to put it. Um, there's some other strategies for that, but I think those are the, probably the, the best ones. But as I said, I don't worry as much. What you can also do, if it's a record that doesn't 
immediately identify where it's from. Like if it's particularly if it's a paper document, you can always like overlay something on it or, or put something on it. Or when you after you scan it, you can also you know modify the scan and put a text at the bottom that says this it came from the National Archives or it came from the the South Carolina State Archives or whatever. So you could actually probably find some space at the bottom to add those words to it. Right, and and we have a comment coming out of the chat. This is Family Tree Girl, and she's saying that her her folders are colored. You know, you mentioned color coded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Binders, so she said that that is what she does, and that that is a good a good strategy to do that. So mm-hmm. take us take us beyond uh, some of the folders now. Where else uh, should we do? Uh, what else should we be doing? Well, there's so much to different things in genealogy to organize. So there's the way which you might organize um, your research trips. Uh, I I've done a whole presentation on that where you know because. Often, and, and I'll be honest, I, and I imagine this happened to all of us the first time we ever went somewhere on a research trip, we probably weren't very well prepared. And so I've learned my lesson, hopefully, so that any time in the future I go on a research trip, I'll know what I need to do. So, so I talk about how you need to be very clear on what it is you plan to do when you get to where you're going. The other thing is you really need to research the repository you're going to. So whether you're going to the National Archives, you're going to whatever, you need to spend a lot of time on the website to learn everything about that repository you can, you know, not only, you know, where it is, but exactly what its operation hours and dates are, um, everything about its uh, rules, because sometimes people get surprised. Genealogists don't realize that some of these archives have very special rules as to what you can bring in, what you're allowed to bring in, and they get surprised. And so, I tell people, you know, as you are planning a trip and you're going to go somewhere, maybe go to a courthouse, go to a, uh, a library, whatever, go to the website, make sure it's going to be open. And in fact, if you're traveling a long distance, it would never hurt to call the archive or the repository ahead of time to say, I'm coming on this date. Is that going to be a problem? And the reason I bring this up, this happened to me about a year ago. I was bringing, I was going to have a bunch of students come to the local public library downtown and I had planned this months in advance just to tell these students we're going to go down to the public library on this Saturday and a few weeks before it happened I called the library and just mentioned I was bringing some students I said and that's not a problem right and it was a long pause at the end of the phone and they said we're closed that day because it turned out there was a children's parade downtown and because of the parking situation they were closing the library So there may be these special events going on in the cities. If you're traveling, you need to find out for sure. Uh, You don't want to be flying to the other part of the country and find out that the place you want to go to is closed for the whole day. Or maybe they're doing a renovation you didn't know about. So I I recommend being very organized about your research trips, planning them in advance, uh, figuring out what you're going to do, doing everything you can do online before you go, and then, give an itinerary of saying, here's what I'm going to do this day, and here's what I'm going to do that day, and and all the places you're going to go, and always have a plan B. So if something happens where you either run out of time or you you can't go to the place you want to go, make sure you've got something else you can do instead. Oh, that is really good advice. And you mentioned calling ahead of time. I I just returned from a, a trip to Pennsylvania, and all had it all mapped out what I was going to do at the cemetery and arrived at four o'clock because I was told the groundskeeper would be there. Guess what? It was closed. 
when I arrived. (laughs) And I I had my information. I knew I was right on target, but the time changed. I went this morning instead. So I did get there, but I was there yesterday just kind of scanning and looking at the cemetery. But you're right. You do need to, to check before you go because you may find just what you discovered that something was going on and the hours had changed and you couldn't take your group with you. Couldn't take a group. Very you good couldn't do the research you wanted to do. Yep. Right, yep. right, right. And that's true for anybody. I mean, people Are we back? Oh, you can hear me? just hear the music and then it goes quiet and we can't hear you Bernice at all or I can't well that's good Karen <laughs> I'm in the chat room now so that was, I figured I better get in if I can see what people are hearing um, 
I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and talk for a bit until Bernice is able to get back in. I guess. Uh, so okay. So while we're waiting for Bernice to come back, um, the other thing I, I was going to uh, talk about is, uh, I guess, yeah, there'll be music behind me while we're while we're doing this. Um, is that uh, uh, you have to organize your education too? As genealogists, we're always learning. We're always uh, going to conferences, reading books, re- you know, watching webinars, uh, reading magazine articles, all this stuff. There's just we're overwhelmed almost with how much we can learn. And um, one of the things that I like to think about is, well, what's my plan for the next couple of months? What is it I really want to focus my education on? What topics would help me the most with my research? Am I, am I, gonna, am I gonna work on my Irish research? Uh, so I need to look for webinars about doing Irish research, look for articles and magazines on that topic, read a good book on it, and, and really kind of come up with sort of an educational plan for yourself. What are you gonna spend your time on? Otherwise, you're kind of gonna be all over the place. But if you know you're going to a national conference where you got lots of choices, you want to look at the syllabus ahead of time or the program ahead of time and kind of map out what you're going to do each day. Again, it's kind of like mapping out your research trip. You want to say, here are the things I really want to focus my time on. And again, have a plan B. I've been to some conferences recently. I was at Roots Tech where the first room might fill up before you get there. And you probably want to a plan B of, well, what can I go to if the one I want to get into is completely full? So kind of make sure you always have a backup plan on attending a, a conference. Hi, Drew. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can, Bernice. I can. Okay. Right. Thank you so much. And and you're so right about uh, the the conferences. So, Drew, thank you so much for keeping up the conversation. We had little technical issues here, which I'll just kind of edit out. And everyone else, I hope you enjoyed the music. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so Drew, uh, how to keep uh, yourself motivated to keep a log is, is coming out of the chat right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, some people do this by keeping a blog. Um, there have been individuals who've had some wonderful genealogy blogs, some still do, uh, where they write about what they're discovering. And that kind of keeps them motivated because people are excited to read it. Uh, so they, it's what we call accountability. You know, when you, when you have other people watching what you're doing, you're probably going to do a better job of it. And so um, if you blog about your research and say, here's the records I'm looking for, and here's what I found, and here's a digital image of it, and here's what I think it says, and here's the conclusion I'm going to reach, um, you're probably going to be a little more careful when you're doing it in front of a whole bunch of other people instead of just kind of, kind of you know, going through it really quickly yourself. So that's one way to do it. Um, if you don't want to be that public about it, maybe you want to use Evernote. Uh, Evernote can be used as a good research um, uh, blog or research log, I mean, and you can write in there, you can put uh, copies of your, uh, what you find in there, you can, you can combine a lot of good stuff there, and you can still share it. Um, so uh, I, I recommend one of those strategies uh, to kind of keep yourself going. Um, but as I said, there have been some amazing uh, research blogs out there over the years, uh, some people who still do some really good work that way. Right. Well, now, you mentioned very early about software. Uh, so give mm-hmm. us an idea of what software you would recommend to help individuals organize their research. 
Okay. So the first thing, and I'm going to say this may be the very most important piece of software you can have, is backup software. Some tool or service that backs up everything you do on a regular basis. It's really good if you can just do it without you thinking about it, because we will forget to do that sometimes. And I've run into so many genealogists who've lost a lot of their research because they didn't have it very well backed up. So I recommend that people install a good backup program uh, like CrashPlan or Backblaze, um, you know, pay for that uh, service on an annual basis so that, you know, if, if something were to happen to your computer or if you accidentally deleted a file that you didn't mean to, that stuff would be safely uh, out there. And so I really think that's number one. Number two um, is just files. And so I use Dropbox, and a lot of people out there use Dropbox. Some use uh, Box, or they use maybe Google Drive or, or the Microsoft OneDrive or iCloud, but I, I love Dropbox. And that also sort of serves as a backup. It's not really its intention. But that also, the reason I love Dropbox is I have it installed on my work computer. I have it installed on my home computer. I have it installed on my tablet and I have it installed on my smartphone. So if there's any file that I need to look at, like if I'm traveling and I don't have my, you know, I'm, I'm away from my home computer, but I want to look maybe at a, a, a birth record, maybe because I'm in the city where I'm doing research. It's nice because I can look in Dropbox and I can look at a copy of that record. So, so that keeps me organized too. If, if I use, uh, put all my files in Dropbox, I mentioned Evernote. Evernote is great for, um, uh, for just random notes, things that you're thinking of, your, your ideas, brainstorming, um, things that you find online. I use it to, if I find a really good genealogy blog article, I will run it in the Evernote. And the thing is, is that later down the road, I can easily find it again. So if I clipped a really good um, article on doing Irish research, then I can just later on, uh, you know, six months from now, I can put in the word Irish or Ireland in Evernote and find that that uh, blog posting that someone did on how to do it. So, so that's a really strong um, tool, I think, for, for genealogists uh, to use. Right. So as operating systems change, do the backup programs change as well? Well, as they get, as you upgrade, as your Windows or your Mac OS upgrades, those normally, um, they, they write upgraded versions for those, and they continue to function. Uh, they should. Uh, so, but you just always want to make sure that your software is up to date. Um, I always try to keep mine, you know, when I'm not busy doing something else, uh, if I'm just killing time or, or while I'm, uh, either overnight or while I'm eating a meal, maybe I'll go onto my computer and just make sure it, it updates all the software that, um, that I'm using. So that would include maybe, um, and most of the, the programs that you use these days are pretty good about when you start them up, they might say to you, there's a new version of this software. Do you want to install it? Now, you don't normally have to install it right away. You could say, well, I'll do that right before I go to bed. I'll just do that. That way, when I wake up in the morning, it'll be there. And so I recommend people keep all their software up to date as much as possible because that the new software will not only add features, but it will certainly fix any bugs. And the last thing you want is a genealogist to be in the middle of something and it suddenly crashes on you. So um, so, so definitely, um, and, and yeah, if you upgrade your operating system, uh, then you're probably going to have to, you may have to upgrade a lot of your other software. Hopefully all your other software has already been written to, to work with the new software, the new operating system. Right, absolutely. Now, uh, there's also a comment coming out of chat, and it's back to your statement about blogging is a great, great way 
uh, mm-hmm. to really document your sources, but it's also a record. It is also a record, and uh, it is another and it, it way if you do have distant cousins uh, that you haven't met yet, and they might search for you, uh, they may find you that way through your blog. I, I'll give you this story. My, uh, my brother has written about our family, uh, my, you know, the, my father's family, the Smiths from uh, Newark, New Jersey, and my, my great-great-grandmother, who was an amazing entrepreneur. She had a business that she ran in the late 1800s, 1880s, 1890s before she died and was very successful at it. And um, my brother wrote about her and even had a, you know, talked about the company. Well, a distant cousin that I didn't know living in Houston, Texas, had letters written from that branch of the family. Um, I think she's like a fourth cousin or something. I'd never met her before, didn't know that branch existed. And she had a copy of the business, uh, a letter on business letterhead uh, that was from the company. She looked up that letterhead, that company name, found my brother's blog, and through that found me and was able to send me copies of those letters that were from my immigrant Smith ancestor, my great, great, great grandfather. So you never know who might discover you because you keep a blog about the research you're doing and your family. It's a great way to uh, possibly for cousins to find you. Yes, you are definitely right. Now, what about those online trees and and other documents as far as um, organizing them? Well, what you know, if you if if you mean your own organizing your own trees, um, you know, one thing I would recommend to people do is first of all, you're going to want to you don't want normally. I don't recommend people make their online tree their main tree. I think that's not a good idea. I would uh, one reason is because the online tree software doesn't usually let you do everything. It doesn't have all the features that desktop software has. So I recommend that people have a really good desktop program, uh, program for their desktop or laptop computer. But then what I would recommend is that every so often, you just put it on your calendar once a month or once every two or three months, you're going to make a copy, uh, export from your desktop software, a new family tree and put it up online. So it will replace the one you had up there before. And so uh, I know now as things are starting to get synchronized again, folks using Family Tree Maker are going to be able to uh, synchronize uh, again uh, with their ancestry tree. Roots Magic, hopefully in the near future, will do the same thing. And so that's what will make that kind of easy. And so your tree that you put up online, it's out there for your family to see. It's out there for your cousins for your, uh, to attract other cousins you don't know about. But you want to do most of your main work, I think, on your desktop computer, your, your software that way. So that way, every couple of months, you will have the most recent copy. You'll throw it up on the, on the web somewhere and maybe a couple of places. Maybe you'll keep a tree on, you know, an ancestry, maybe another tree over on MyHeritage, maybe another tree on another service somewhere, because you never know where people might find you. Well, that, that is true. That's definitely true. Now, I have a question for you because I get so many emails, and now with, of course, DNA, you're constantly Mm. writing people or they're writing back to you. Now, what recommendations would you have to organize your communications? Absolutely. Well, you know, that's a, and that's, if I were redoing the book, I would probably write a whole nother chapter about DNA all by itself because that's a whole nother huge pile of information. But what I would do is uh, I do have, you know, I do talk about even in the book about uh, organizing email and stuff. And that's another one where it's really good if you're um, using a paid version of uh, let's say Evernote, because if you're using a paid version of Evernote, 
you can actually take the emails you get uh, on, on your email software and forward them into Evernote. So that way you'll have copies for reference of people that maybe you know, your cousins have written you with information. Um, so that's one way to keep it organized because once you have it in Evernote, you can make sure it's in the right notebook for the right family and you've got it in the right place. So that helps you, you know, when you're getting email from cousins on five different branches of your family, you want to make sure you get all that to the right place. If you don't use Evernote, though, you, your, your, your uh, email software should have ways to organize um, things either by like a folder or by uh, tags or labels. I use Gmail a lot for this. So when I get email um, uh, and it's for a certain project I'm working on, maybe a surname or uh, an event I'm working on, I tag it with the uh, name of that. So that way I have all the email on the same subject in the same place and you know same thing when uh, i was getting ready for tonight bernice i made sure that i had one label for everything i'd gotten from you and that way when i wanted to check those uh, instructions again i just looked for the label that had you know your name on it or the event on it so you can do the same thing with your family and your and your cousins and your surname lines if you want to keep all those separate is just have a label for each surname or whatever so as as people contact you about those lines you can label them that way, and then when you want to find that stuff again, you can just go into your email software, look for that label, and then you should be able to find the email pretty quickly. Right. And, you, uh, and I guess you're right when you said if you had to write your book all over again, you would do a whole chapter on DNA. <laughs> I would have to because there's so much to keep track of. There's, you know, You have to keep track of the people who have tested. You have to keep track of which test they've taken which company they went with, uh, who you've matched with, who you've contacted, who you haven't contacted yet. There's all these different things you have to keep track of with DNA. So, yeah, that, that could be a, almost an entire book, I think, of itself. Right. Well, you know what? You're saying it, and I think that that can be the next book for somebody. I think. <laughs> for somebody to write. It, yeah, it might be. That's yeah, right. At, if at least, at least so a couple important. articles. Yeah, well, and, and it's so important. It, it is, and this is not going to be, uh, you know, the, there's no way to write the book that's going to end at all because there's always new tools coming out, new software, new things we have to organize. Who knows what might be after DNA? I have no idea, but there might be something. And there, there will always be a need for genealogists to work with lots of information. And, and it's not going to get less. It's always going to get more. There's always going to be more information to deal with. So, you know, if we're not organized now, it's not going to get any easier next year or the year after right and I, I mean i hear what you're saying it's not going to get any easier and you have some people who just can't get get rid of that paper either they love it's that hard paper. there's <laughs> an emotional attachment to paper there really is you know and and i don't want to tell people you have to get rid of all your paper but you do have to figure out a, a better way to deal with it and maybe that is well scan it and then put it in a binder or something and put it in a shelf in a closet if, or something so you can still have it if you feel you want it but you know you're going to work with the digital stuff digital is always easier to work with so uh, i think most times so um but but i understand we're i i'm very much of a a hoarder when it comes to books and papers and magazines and i'm still working on that yes but you know things everything is changing though everything is changing but what about yeah. all of these conferences now I don't know about you. I try to go to conferences and listen to webinars and 
and stay on top of what's going on, but how do you organize the information that you receive from the various conferences? Right. Well, what I really like about the new conferences is so many of them are making their syllabi available digitally. So you can download maybe a PDF of the entire syllabus or something like that. And what I often do then is I'll put that in maybe in Dropbox, um, but I may also put it in Evernote because if you pay for Evernote, it also indexes everything in a PDF. And that means that if I have a copy of a syllabus and it's in my Evernote, that means that a year from now or two years from now, and I go, well, I went to a conference where there was this really good presentation about Ireland, but I don't remember who gave it or what the t- title was. I could go into Evernote and just do a search on Ireland, and that topic would pop up. So I think that's one of the ways that we can kind of organize uh, the, this kind of stuff we're getting, this things like syllabi is, is um is, is digitally and put them in as files on your computer and, and maybe in Evernote if you use Evernote, but, but put them that way. Um, you know, if you're not dealing with it that way, you could always, um, as you get handouts when you go to conferences, like the ones, or if you go to a, your local society and there's a printed handout, you can always, again, go home and scan it and put it in uh, your computer so that you can find it more easily that way. Um, I also... You know, if you're if you're not electronic based, if you want to be in paper based, that's fine. Just create folders or binders that are on those topics. So if you need to have a Ireland folder or a South Carolina folder or whatever, then just create folders for the handouts. That way, again, down the road when you need it, you'll be able to lay your hands on it really quick. Right, which which is very good because we we uh, we are exposed to so much now. Uh, with genealogy, which is which is wonderful. We just have so much information coming out then, and sometimes you have to sort through it. And as you said, you can get home and you'll remember, I just attended this really good workshop, and mm-hmm. then go back and, and and look at the information, which is and wonderful. And I think about, and I want to put in one more plug for Evernote because this is what's cool about the new, you know, what it does now, at least for those who haven't used it yet. When you're in Evernote and you're pulling up something like a handout or something about a topic like Ireland, it also shows you other notes in your Evernote files that are related. So it says, oh, you've also got this one that's, that's similar. It talks about some of the same stuff. So it makes it a lot easier. It's kind of like you know how when you go on Amazon and, you, and you're looking at a book yes. and it says people that read this book also read this one. It's like that. Evernote is recommending to you other notes you have that might be on similar topics. So that way you can find, oh, yeah, maybe that's the one I want to read or that's the one I want to read. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there, there are a lot of tools out there. They're getting better and better at figuring out what it is that you and I want to look at, and they're making good suggestions. I think you're probably noticing that, too, as you do any kind of shopping or whether it's book buying or something else. But it's making pretty darn good suggestions as to what else you might be interested in. That's true. Now, what about um, maintaining organizational systems, purging, and donating? Do you have a system or advice on what people should consider doing when they have all of this information? Absolutely. One of the things I, I, you know, I when I got started in genealogy, I went out there and I bought books. I bought some unusual books about my family. I mean, ones that weren't common. They were a bit rare. But I've noticed over the years that some of these things I've bought, these books, have been 
put online. You know, Family Search has scanned so many family history books. There are other, you know, Google Books has scanned a lot of books. So every now and again, when I'm in that mood of I need to downsize and I need to get rid of some of these, I look to see if the books I have have been put up online. And if they have, then I make a little stack of those and I take them to my local public library and donate them. Um, because why should they, you know, there are going to be people down there that might want to read the copy rather than look at it online. But if I need that information, I can just look at it online. So, so that's one way to downsize is to try to replace a lot of your physical stuff with digital copies. Um, you know, and when I buy new stuff, new genealogy books, I first look to see if I can buy a digital copy rather than a, than a physical copy, because I don't want to take up more room on my shelves and uh, with books if I can avoid it. Um, I've got way too many books and I do need to donate them. But, I, but check with your public library uh, if it has a genealogy collection to see, you know, because they'll often love to get donations of that kind of material. Um, and uh, same thing with magazines. You know, once you're done with your magazines, uh, maybe you, you, know, you can donate it to your public library. So if you're a subscriber to a genealogy magazine, maybe the library isn't, and they would love to have your copies. But I recently saw an article, and um, I can't even tell you where, what library, but right now they're going through all of their books and deciding which books needs to, need to come off the shelf. And they're sending those books to other places to be sold, maybe giving them to Goodwill or what have you. So are you finding that's happening at your library where they're actually purging some of the books that they have, old books? Um, not too much. Uh, they are looking for duplicates. Now, in Tampa, because the main library downtown is the main genealogy library, but there's some, also some branches out in the parts of Hillsborough County. So if they have duplicates, they'll usually put the duplicates out in the branches so that the people have access to them there. They don't usually discard anything unless it's in really poor shape. Um, another thing I'll put in a plug for, if there's any librarians listening or if there's any genealogists who want to tell their genealogy librarians this is we have a, a mailing list that's been around since 1996 called genealib and if you google for g-e-n-e-a-l-i-b you will find that that's a list that has 1100 subscribers many of them are public librarians across the united states and when they get donations of books and they turn out to be duplicates or things that they just really don't need in their own they put them up online for any other public library to ask for just for the cost of postage. And as a result, that means that many of these duplicate books, they're not going to uh, book sales necessarily or going to you know, Goodwill or wherever. They're going into the other genealogy libraries around the country. So they're getting moved to where they can be used. And so I would strongly recommend any genealogy library and librarian out there to, if they're not already, get onto Genealib. And if they, again, look for, you know, if you're looking for stuff to add to your collection, every now and then I see people posting stuff there almost every month. Someone will say, we just received a donation of a bunch of books or magazines, but these are duplicates. We're willing to send them for the cost of postage. Right. Now, also, I, I recently had a show on just leaving a legacy. And some individuals may have collected so much material, but they don't want to just destroy it. What about uh, donating whatever they have to various repositories in their community? Have you had that happen in, in Tampa, or have you even done something like that? Um, I've seen cases where, uh, and you want to call your local libraries to find out what they'll take. Um, 
Some libraries accept donations of, of you know, papers and collection, you know, genealogical materials from people that are discarding them. Um, this is often comes up in a lot of families where, you know, someone's been a genealogist their entire life, but their children aren't interested in it and they're worried that all this is going to be tossed out. So they might contact the public library to see would the library like to have their materials, their research. And of course, another place that I've never heard them turn down a genealogy uh, collection before is the Allen County Public Library in Fort Wayne. Um, they often take a lot of donations of people's uh, personal research and things. So that's another one that's worth uh, checking out if, if you're thinking about you know, downsizing, getting rid of the materials you've, or just want a long-term plan. If you say, what well, after you're gone, what's going to happen to all the stuff you worked on? Um, then you might want to see if the Allen County Public Library in Fort Wayne would would be willing to take it because I've heard that they they you know they'll jump at the chance they'll they'll take it if they can. Right, and and it adds back to nothing for everyone, everyone, everyone to about about what's going to happen with your, your genealogy once you, you are gone. gone. And, and for that matter, what's your plan, plan for that? For that. You're talking about organizing materials, but you also need to have something else written down. What happened to your information? Now, I want to take you back back, uh, for a moment, moment. and there's a question question about how does Evernote compare to OneNote that Windows 10 puts on uh, your machine? Um, Hopefully, I'm not getting a feedback echo. We were getting a little bit of one from you, Bernice, but uh, um, somebody can let me know if if it's happening with me, too. Um, One of the things, uh, I've not used OneNote very much. I've looked at it just a tiny bit. Uh, as someone said, it's on. It's a Microsoft product. It came a lot. The reason I didn't get into it early on is because there wasn't a Mac version for a long time. Um, so oh, that's good to hear. Thanks, Angela. Uh, so so it's um, uh, it, it's like Evernote in much the same way, but there are a few differences. It it uses a kind of more of a, a binder or a, a three ring notebook idea with tabs to organize. Uh, uh, instead of um, what Evernote does, where you have kind of these virtual notebooks and then the notes in them. So as I said, you know, some people kind of like it better, um, and particularly I'm sure it works very well when you're working with other Microsoft products like Microsoft Word or, or PowerPoint or, or what have you. Um, but Evernote is, I like it just because it's uh, designed to work with lots of different things. It, it works very well with many other tools and um, so, you know, if you're using it, OneNote and you're happy with it, then keep using it. Um, I'm not going to tell people they need to change to Evernote uh, to do that. But on the other hand, if you haven't decided what to use yet, um, I'd probably say, why don't you check out Evernote first? Um, and it's got a free version, so uh, which is pretty useful. It doesn't do everything. You know, you can't do the email thing where you email stuff into Evernote if you're using the free version, and you're limited as to how many devices uh, can access it or synchronize with it. So you have to be uh, a bit careful about that. Right. Now, there's another question. What are the advantages of the paid version of Evernote? Uh, some of the ones I mentioned, like the email, and the, but the other ones, and synchronizing across all your devices, but the other ones are you have a bigger quota uh, of uh, uh, how much you can put in every month. So, like, there's a limit. Uh, Evernote doesn't limit you as to how much total stuff you store in Evernote, but it does limit you as to how much new stuff you can put in every month. And if you pay, there's two different levels of like plus and premium. If you pay, you can have a much higher amount of new content that you can put in 
every month, which really matters if you're putting in a lot of scan documents and images and things like that. Um, not so much for text because usually you're not going to be text doesn't take up that much room. Um, the other thing is you, the individual notes can be bigger too. So if you pay, if you're using a paid version, each note can be much larger, but there's a limit on the size of the notes. Beyond that, there's not, um, not too much. Um, the free version I think does not index the, search the PDFs. If you attach a PDF to a note, it doesn't automatically search inside the PDF. But if you pay uh, a paid version of Evernote, it does index what's inside uh, the attached PDFs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Drew, we're getting close to the end of the program, and I just want to know, do you have any any final words of wisdom that you would like to depart, <laughs> impart on sure. all of us before we close out the show tonight? Sure. Let me say this. Um, you know, don't first of all, don't knock yourself silly just because you feel like you've been disorganized a long time. We've all been there. We all still can improve what we're doing. The other thing is, is that don't try to do everything at once. Um, being organized is like a habit. You have to acquire it, and it's better if you do it in small bits, small stages. So just try to take some one thing that's been driving you nuts, where you've, you know, have this one aspect of your genealogy research that just feels really disorganized, and focus on that one little thing and try to improve it. And, and don't try to change everything you're doing because that you're probably going to get frustrated and just go right back to whatever you were doing before. So take it in small bites, small stages, and just that way you can get make progress. You'll see the progress, and that will motivate you to keep going. Okay, Drew. Well, I want to just thank you so much for sharing with us just plain, simple instructions on how to organize uh, your genealogy. And for those who would like to get a copy of your book, how can they do that? Uh, to get a copy of the book, um, probably the easiest thing, frankly, is to go out to Amazon and just look for Organize Your Genealogy. And uh, that's probably going to be the fastest and quickest way to get a copy. Okay. Well, everyone else, I want to just thank you for joining the show tonight thank you so much and just remember everybody you know i come on every thursday night at 9 p.m and all of my shows are a podcast immediately after the broadcast so you will have an opportunity to go back and to listen to drew over and over again because he's kind of motivating you now to organize your research So, Drew, I just want to thank you for sharing with us your knowledge tonight. And for everyone else, remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page, and also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday, and also watch for the Black Gen Live with host Nika Sul Smith. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. I look forward to all of you joining me 
next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Drew. Good night, Bernice. Thank you.